Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we preview the Buccaneers and Falcons game this weekend. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast brought to you in part by Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world for $20 off a suitcase. Visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. Listening on the go, if you can't visit Away right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. I am James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. David, I felt a little bit like the guy that used to do the Micro Machines commercials. You remember him? Yeah, the guy who talks really fast. Yeah. Yeah, I don't talk nearly as fast as he does, but it seemed like I went through that really fast. It was faster than usual. Sweet. All right. Well, we have... uh, we have a game to talk about. We have a voicemail to react to. And uh, then at the end of the episode, David wants to have an on-air conversation about a uh, a topic <laughs> that we were discussing earlier. And uh, I, I tried to get him to talk about this before we started recording. He said, if we're going to have this conversation, we're going to do it on air. So let's get through all the Buccaneer stuff first, and we'll save that for a little uh, a little bonus stuff there at the end of the episode. Does that sound good? Sure thing. All right. Uh, David, you want to go ahead and just dive into the voicemail first before we get into uh, the, the full-on preview? Yeah, we can do that. All right, cool. Hey, guys. This is Dan. I was just listening to uh, David about his talk with uh, trying to get Trent Williams. And what if we traded a second-round pick and that turnstile door Donovan Smith to Washington for Trent Williams? And we're basically paying the same amount of money. We get a Pro Bowl level left tackle. Redskins get a second round pick and somebody to put out there, I guess. You know, and then it's only for a one year uh, guarantee money, and then they could cut them and drop somebody new. Like that's a win win, and I think that could I, I think that could happen. Anyways, uh, good luck. All right, thank you very much for the call. Um... Okay, I I like that idea in theory, and David, feel free to tell me if you feel I'm off base on this, but if Trent Williams is getting traded, I don't think it's for anything less than a first-round pick to start. Second off, packaging a second with Donovan Smith isn't... I, I don't think that gets it done for a couple reasons, and David, we saw this a little bit with like the Vernon Hargrave stuff, and... um Caleb Beninock and and some of these other uh, these other players where it was, you know, well, why don't the Buccaneers just trade him? You know, Vernon Hargrave sucks. Why don't they trade him to another team? Well, you know, if if you think a player is bad, what makes you think another team would want him? So, you know, Washington isn't going to look at getting rid of Trent Williams in exchange for a average to below average left tackle and a second round pick as being a good trade on their end. 
Uh, I understand, you know, Trent Williams never wants to play for the Redskins again. And, and, and that relationship is is completely broken. And at that point, you you take whatever you can get. But I'm willing to bet there will be other teams out there looking for a, a really, really good left tackle willing to pay a higher price than a second and Donovan Smith. So you kind of have to look at it from from both sides. While I do agree that it's a good idea in principle, you're you're giving them a draft pick plus a player to fill in where you know they are are now losing a player but at the end of the day i don't think the redskins are going to view that as um high enough compensation for somebody at the level of williams yeah i mean it kind of goes you know the the what, what i said on yesterday's episode like for for a player like Donovan Smith, honestly, is one of those things where, with the reputation he has, of course, the the record low PFF grade and and all the stuff that he got, like all those things tarnish the value of a player. And then you look at the salary on top of it, and and it, it kind of reminds me of Jay Cutler when he was, you know, Chicago was trying to move him, where uh, you're you're basically gonna have to pay the team to take them off, that, take that player off your hands. You're essentially it's. The NBA does trades like that all the time where it's, hey, take this salary off of our books and here's a draft pick, go away. And so when you talk about trading Donovan Smith, you know, to to a team like the Washington Redskins for, say, a Trent Williams, that's exactly like the, the Washington Redskins want a first round draft pick. So if you're going to throw Donovan Smith in the mix, basically the way they're going to look at like I get what you're saying is, hey, Washington, here's this younger left tackle that maybe you can turn something into. And, and but they're not they're not going to look at it that way, man. And and. Honestly, with Dan Snyder, like the fact the Redskins have Trent Williams under contract for next year, this thing is already gone beyond the levels of professionalism. Like this thing is just downright petty at this point. This relationship between the Redskins and Williams, I honestly would not be surprised. Again, because of Williams's age, if Dan Snyder literally sits on this dude's contract next year and just says, "Okay, hold out, don't play, do what you want to do," because I'm not the one who's turning 32 in the NFL or 33 in the NFL as an offensive lineman. You are and. You know, come 2021, if Trent Williams sits out all of 2020 with the Redskins and the Redskins, you know, don't do, you know, file a grievance or whatever, whatever to retain his rights because he didn't play and he held out and they allow him to become a free agent. He's one year older and he's two years out of the NFL as far as playing. And that's going to hurt Williams a lot more than it's going to hurt the Redskins. And with that ownership and their history, I just I honestly don't see the Redskins having any motivation to move him because he wants to be moved. and. If they do move him to a team, it's going to be for at least a first-round draft pick. So if you're trading Donovan Smith to the the Redskins, that's going to be like your your kicker, you know what I mean, in, in your trade package. That's not going to be the main uh, the main motivation there. And a second-round draft pick isn't high enough for the Redskins, unfortunately. Like I like the sound of your trade, but I think that you're uh, you forgot to carry the decimal on the Dan Snyder factor, and that is a very big multiplier in this situation. Yeah, Dan Snyder is not going to bend over backwards to do Trent Williams any favors by moving him. He will move him. Um, yeah, Snyder will move him when he wants to move him for what he wants to move him for and not a moment sooner or for a penny less. And so, yeah, David, you're 100% right. We could see Williams under contract with the Redskins for all of next year simply not playing because he wants nothing to do with that organization. And Dan Snyder, you put it perfectly, is just petty. He's flat out petty. And we've seen him destroy that franchise for years and years and years. It's mm -hmm. not going to change. Right. 
but I like the creativity and the thought process. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, and, and I, I hope I, I made that clear on my end that, that the, the principle and the idea is, is good, but you have to, you have to take into consideration who the other team is, how they're going to view the player and the pick. And ultimately that's to get a deal done with the Redskins. That's not going to cut it. Yeah. So, all right, well, David, let's go ahead and jump into uh, this Sunday's game. Super excited. Can't wait to watch, uh, you know, the the Dirk Cutter, Raheem Morris revenge game. Uh, We're under on how many times the camera pans a Dirk Cutter in the booth. Six and a half. Take like the over on that. I think you're getting at least two per possession. Possession two per quarter. quarter, Sorry. Okay. Okay. I could, I could see that. Like if there's a big play or a bad play, I think you're getting a pan of dirt cutter or a cutaway to dirt cutter. Not only that, but you know, they might, they might pan to cutter after a Jameis good play or bad play. Yeah. I could see him play or bad play on in this game. And they're going to show dirt cutter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh goodness. Yeah, one of the things that I talked about with Aaron on Crossover Wednesday was that this this Falcons pass rush has gotten hot at the right time. Now, it does look like they're going to be missing Adrian Claiborne, and he's been a big, big part of the pass rush these past two weeks against the Panthers and the Saints. Yet another former Buccaneer, but hey, who's counting? Uh, for those of you at home uh, who are counting, that's that's three that I've mentioned now. Um, so they, they may, they may catch a little bit of a break there. I don't know, David, in a perfect world, Jameis gets more than one and a half seconds to throw the ball. But in the reality in which we live, given the roller coaster that has been this offensive line going up against a red hot Falcons pass rush. If they can orchestrate a game plan to get the ball out of Jameis's hands faster than they did against New Orleans, what kind of confidence level do you have in the receiving core for the Bucs going up against the Falcons secondary? Um, I have a lot of confidence in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. No love for Scotty Miller, even though he was the second leading receiver last week. Listen, Scotty is making moves. Like Scotty <laughs> is 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 he's doing some things. You know what I mean? Like don't sleep on Scotty Miller, but let's let's all remember like Adam Humphreys wasn't Adam Humphreys in year 1 either. And and That's I know true. Adam was undrafted and all that stuff and honestly, I think the biggest problem with Scotty Miller not making a bigger impact on this team than he is is game is game planning, scheming, play designs, whatever you want to call it. Like I get that the dude is fast and has some long speed to him, but he's also got some short area quickness and, and just some quickness in general as well. And I think that the Buccaneers right now offensively are missing out on a potential weapon in him uh, doing things like, I mean, I understand that Bowling Green is not the National Football League, but Scotty Miller has, you know, he's shown in, in, in limited exposure this year that he's a tough dude. Like he is willing to take a lick for this team. Um, he's winning. He's willing to go into the weeds, go into the woods, you know, a little bit and, and run amongst the trees as it were. 
but at the same time, if you do things, if you do some things to scheme this guy open in in in, in short areas, then he can make some things happen. He can make a few guys miss and all that stuff. The biggest worry I have with him is taking a huge lick and it, can he hold on to the ball and all that stuff. But I mean, at the same time, there are a lot of rules in that in the National Football League designed to protect these receivers uh, from from big hits like that. So I don't know, man. Um, I do think that Scotty has some upside. I'm not saying he'll ever be Adam Humphreys, but I think he does. He has some upside. But until we see this team try to use him in a fashion that's not, hey, Scotty, run really fast, really deep, and run under the ball, um, I don't think it's going to come to fruition. So that being said, uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are the only two I really would have any confidence in coming up against any secondary. And again, that's all going to depend too. I mean, the the Falcons have the have the weapons on defense to play very similar coverage to what the Saints did against the Buccaneers offense. And if they do, then we may see a whole lot of Cam Brate. Um Hopefully we don't see as much OJ as we saw last week. But, you know, we'll see where it goes. I'm assuming by that you meant hopefully we see more OJ than we saw last week. Uh, I mean, uh, well, I mean, I, I said it earlier, man, like, this this coaching staff has done nothing but talk about accountability, and and I, you know I know I use that to go off on my Jamel Dean rant or whatever, but OJ Howard has consistently this season failed this team in in one way or another. Cam Bray and the opportunities that he's gotten has consistently stepped up. So if it's me, it's it's Cam Bray as your primary tight end this week at least at least from a receiving standpoint because he's earned it. Um, That's so again, if we're giving people what they're deserving of and holding them accountable then Cam is getting the the routes and Cam is getting the receiving options and OJ is getting the blocking assignments and maybe, you know, give him a couple here and there. And if he holds onto the ball, if he makes some clean breaks and, you know, he's, he starts showing that he's having a good game, let him work his way back in. I'm not saying put the dude in the prison, you know, prison cell and lock him up and, and throw away the key. But um, yeah, I don't know if, if he's getting the majority, the lion's share of the looks and the snaps to start this game, it's going to be disappointing for me from the coach's standpoint, just because uh, I guess just one more example this year of you're not holding your players accountable, actually. Um, And it might work out well, which don't be wrong. I would be happy to see OJ have a breakout game, but I would still come on the show after that game and say my issue with this coaching staff is they're not delivering on what they said, because that's a very clear situation where you're not holding your player accountable for their mental mistakes, which is what was being preached all offseason. Uh, and before we move on, David, I do stand corrected. I was going off of of Aaron in my conversation as far as Adrian Claiborne was concerned. He was upgraded to a limited participant on Thursday. Now, what does that mean for the game? It means he's definitely trending in the right direction, but with a groin injury, you know that can flare up at any moment. I would still say at best heading into the weekend, he'll end up being questionable. Um but I mean, this is a team they're they're missing Tack McKinley right now. They're missing Devontae Freeman. They're missing Austin Hooper. Um, and you can see, you know, the the huge difference between Austin Hooper in the past and Austin Hooper in a dirt cutter offense because dirt cutter loves to use those tight ends. And I think that's what's frustrated so many Buccaneers fans is they had two two tight ends that flourished in a system that featured them uh versus the system that they have now but we're gonna uh, on the flip side you know your your confidence in mike your your confidence in in chris is not to be understated however you take a look at the falcons receiving core 
going up against the league's worst scoring defense. Mm -hmm. A quarterback who is, is turning the ball over at a rapid rate compared to what he has done in the past. Does that give you any confidence whatsoever in the Bucks defense going up against Julio and Ridley and Matt Ryan or yeah, basically how do you feel about that? I mean, do you feel like the, the Falcons offense that is sputtered at times is going to continue to do so, or is it, uh, is it feasting time? Uh, I mean, I think when it comes to this matchup, it's really not as much about the secondary as it's going to be about the front seven. If the front seven can can make Matt Ryan uncomfortable, if they can make him hurry some things up, if they can make him, you know, go long on some passes, uh, longer on some passes than he intends to, then it'll help the secondary immensely. And then obviously, there's the whole uh, again, kind of what we're talking about from the New Orleans Saints game. There's the offense giving this defense an opportunity to go back to the sideline, talk about what happened. And come up with new, you know, not new game plans completely, but kind of within the game plan, come up with new ideas, new strategies, talk about what happened and actually, you know, have a minute to collect themselves. Because, again, I go back to, you know, the Saints game, the 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 reason I don't harbor as much angst about the defense in that game as a lot of people do is, you know, you you come out as Todd Bowles in your first defensive series and the Saints come out with their first offensive series. And you both see, okay, here's your game plan, here's mine, let's see how it works out. Well, how it worked out was a six-minute-plus drive ending in a field goal. That's a win for both sides, honestly. Like, the defense is happy, we only gave a field goal, but hey, guys, let's go out there and get them off the field sooner. The offense is going to this field saying, hey, great ball control, great drive, you know, we kept it going for a long time without making a mistake, And but let's finish in the end zone. So both sides are on the sideline saying, okay, let's see what we can adjust to do better next time. But really, at the end of the day, the team that's happiest is the team that put points up on the board, right? So now the Buccaneers offense goes out three and out. What you know what I mean? The, the Buccaneers defense has zero time to talk over what's going on, make any adjustments on the fly, anything. They can't. So they go out and the exact basically you can copy the Saints' first possession, paste it to the second possession, and it was essentially the same thing with a little bit more time run off the clock, honestly. And that just shows you. There was no time for the Saints to really come up with new ideas. There was no time for the Buccaneers to really come up, come up with ideas. So the second possession between the two was basically a carbon copy of the first. Then the Buccaneers defense gets off the field after giving them another field goal, and the Buccaneers offense says, nope, get your asses right out, right back out there, and oh, by the way, keep them out of the end zone. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you can't do that to your defense. After that possession, the Buccaneers offense actually gave their defense a little bit of time to sit on the sideline, look at some photos, look at some, or you know, have the coaches talk to them a little bit, share some ideas as teammates. Carlton, what are you seeing? Uh, Sean, what are you seeing? What happened on this play? And what happened? They gave up 14 points for the rest of the game. In the last three quarters of the game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense gave up 14 points against the New Orleans Saints. It's pretty good. So coming against the Atlanta Falcons offense, um, I feel like this defense has a fighting chance to do some good things. But again, it's about the team picking each other up. You know, when, when your offense goes out there and, and gets a three and out, you need your defense go out there and and not give up points or at least not give up a touchdown. When the defense goes out there and gives up a a field goal or gives a, you know, gets a punt or something or gets a turnover, but they've been on the field for 13 plays. They need the offense to go out there and put together a drive. They don't need the offense to go out there. And that's where, 
you kind of look at like Byron Leftwich, like if let's say the Falcons start with the ball, right? And the Falcons put together a, t- a 10 play drive that ends in a field goal or a 10 play drive that ends in, in a touchdown. Even that defense, like the game's not over, right? At that point, the game is not over. Everybody I think can agree with that. We're halfway to three quarters or, or halfway through a quarter of the way through the first quarter. The Falcons are up seven to nothing or three to nothing. The game ain't over. But at that point, Byron Lovage has offense coordinators to understand two things. One, we're down by seven or three. Two, my defense is gassed. And those things matter. So if we go out there and Jameis Winston throws a 70-yard bomb to Mike Evans for a touchdown, the fans are cheering, the coaches are cheering, the offense is cheering, the defense is going, oh, crap. And what's probably going to happen when they come back on the field? The Falcons are going to have the upper hand because, again, the defense is gassed. They haven't had an opportunity to put things together. And what are we going to talk about after the game? Well, if the defense didn't give up two scoring drives back-to-back on, in early in the game, well, okay, but the offense has a role in that. You know what I'm saying? So really my concern about the defense to – holy crap, I talked for a long time. Um, my concern about the defense is less about can this defense, can Todd Bowles and his coaches get this defense to a position where they can play well enough to win? I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is, is this team – going to play together and allow the team the opportunity to win. That's what I'm concerned with. All right. Well, with that, David, let's go ahead and jump into our prediction portion of the episode. And uh, we're going to start with predictive offensive players of the game. I'm going to give you a second to kind of uh, to rest your voice there a little bit. Because- Not talk as much in this episode. Well, no, because they, again, great stuff. You know, I wasn't going to cut you off, but you know, figured you'd I'd, I'd give you a little rest, or you know, you might as well have done a solo show. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, predictive offensive player of the game. I am going with. I'm going with Chris Godwin. I think this is going to be a Chris Godwin game. We're definitely going to see Mike Evans eclipse that 1,000 yard mark in this one. I believe he only needs seven yards in order to reach that for the sixth consecutive season. But nobody knows the skill position players on this offense as well, as far as opponents are concerned, as well as Dirk Cutter. He's going to know how to try to take Mike Evans as much out of this game as humanly possible. He's going to know ways to get after Jameis. He's going to know Jameis's tells all those things that go in, you know, the gamesmanship, the, you know, everything. And as good as Chris Godwin was while Dirk Cutter was in Tampa, Dirk Cutter did not utilize Chris Godwin to the level that he's being utilized now. And I don't know if, if Cutter didn't see the full potential there, or if he was just so hung up on Deshaun Jackson that he just wasn't giving Chris Godwin the time. But I think this is an opportunity for Godwin to go out and say, you know what? This is what you missed out on, coach. Maybe if you had benched the the diva crybaby and let me play more, we might have won a few more games. Also, probably should have fired Mike Smith sooner. That also would have helped you win games. But <laughs> this is what you missed out on. Yeah. So I I think Godwin's in for a a big time game, and in fact, you know, no, I'll save it for the bold. I'll save it for the bold. All right. All right. So David, who is your predictive offensive player of the game? Uh, so mine is 
again, I don't often predict the person that's going to have the biggest game. I predict I like to predict the person that's going to have the biggest impact on the game. It's Ali Marpet. Um, this offensive like line that. got absolutely worked against the Saints. They looked bored at times. Um, pe- you're talking about penalties. You're talking about missed snaps by Ryan Jensen. And I understand Ali Marpet is not the guy snapping the ball, but you know what? You're the captain. You're the captain on all. You're one of the captains on that offense, and you are the captain on the offensive line. And as a leader, you're judged by the success of the people you lead. So if you're going to be a captain on that offensive line, then it's on on Ali, as far as I'm concerned. Like I understand coaching obviously has a role in it, but you know it's just like any other walk of life, man. Like like children listen to children. Like I have I have three two teen two two and a half teenage children. And I can tell you that my teenagers listen to teenagers. Um, my 12-year-old my son likes to listen to his 12-year-old friends. You know what I mean? Spouses listen to spouses. Soldiers listen to soldiers. You know, teachers listen to te- – like, that's life. That's how life works. So if a guy like Ryan Jensen needs to not, you know, uh, jerked into his ass to, to stop snapping the ball on, on the wrong count in crucial areas, Allie needs to be the one to do it. If Donovan needs to be slapped upside the head and say, hey, wake up and get out of your stance faster – Allie needs to be the one to do it. If DeMar needs to stop doing having false start penalties, same thing. And then Allie needs to be the guy on the offensive line who's saying, hey, guys, follow my example. Notice me not giving up sacks. Notice me not giving up penalties. Do like I do, and we'll be good. Uh, because this game is, to me, this game is like the, like the offensive line's redemption opportunity. And if they don't take it, then this team is about to go one in five in the division. And... I mean, three and three and eight is bad enough if they lose this game, but going one and five in your division just makes it that much worse. All right. For the predictive defensive player of the game, Shaq Barrett rules still in effect, even though he's been quiet the past couple of weeks. Should we start instituting a Levante rule? Like, should we should we make Levante I mean, off limits? I don't think we can make we should make Levante off limits, but Levante is just kind of an easy Levante is the lazy, like, oh, I really didn't think about it before we start recording, so I'm just going to say Levante, because that dude impacts every game. Yeah. So. I think at this point, it should just be understood that Levante is forever going to be the best player on the defense. Right. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, and I, I don't want to bring up old stuff, but uh, when I made Rashad Perryman the X-Factor last week, there were plenty of comments on BucksNation.com. It was like, oh, I'm pretty sure Mike Evans is going to be an X-Factor. Well, no kidding, Mike Evans is going to be an X-Factor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, man, don't get me wrong. I think I did use Mike one week, and if I haven't, I will at some point in time. So, yes, Mike Evans is always an X-Factor. But, you know, again, it's kind of like the key players. Like, I try to get a little bit deeper on it. And and not for nothing, ladies and gentlemen, Rashad Perryman got two very early opportunities and had he come through with those opportunities just like i wrote it would have put more pressure on the saints defense and it could have changed the tone of the game but how, however because he didn't come up with those opportunities just like i wrote the Saints <laughs> defense got very confident very fast and things spiraled out of control so uh i was right you were wrong nana, nana boo boo get off my x factor <laughs> well and <coughs> <coughs> the the principle of your x factor was was on point it was looking for what receiving option outside of the big 2 was going to be the one to impact the game and and help keep the saints on their heels so right. yeah it, it's it's not always about the individual player it's about the uh the method behind the madness but anyway <laughs> um predictive defensive player of the game I'm going Carlton Davis. 
Um, Fantastic. Is that who you were going to take? Nope. Okay. Well, I'm I'm torn because I kind of wanted to go Edwards because he had such a great game last week. But is he going to get the field time that he got last week if they're getting Jamel Dean involved this week? You know, Bruce came out and said, you know, he wanted to get Jamel Dean on on the field. Well, dude, you're the head coach. Like, mm, um, you know, I understand. Let let Todd Bowles do his thing, but. That that makes me cautious to not take Edwards as fantastic as Edwards looked last week. But Carlton Davis is going to be the X factor, or not the X. See what you've gone and done to me. Carlton Davis the, is definitely not going to be the X factor. That's the one. Um, Davis is is my predicted defensive player of the game in the aspect of I think he himself can make or break this game if he's the one lining up, having to cover Julio Jones. Being able to keep him in check is going to do wonders for this defense. And, you know, in turn, the team as a whole. But if Julio goes off the way Julio normally goes off against the Buccaneers, it's going to be a long day and there's going to be a lot of finger pointing at Davis. So I guess my my predictive defensive player of the game is predictive for both positive or negative. He is going to be the key player on the defense this week because of a matchup against a future Hall of Fame wide receiver. Julio's going to get his, right. but is he going to go Michael Thomas, 11 receptions, 180 yards, two touchdowns crazy, or is it going to be, you know, six receptions for 85 and no scores? Like that to me means Davis did his job and did it well because there's only so much you can do against somebody like Julio. Right. I mean, honestly, as long as Julio doesn't just take over that game, then Carlton did his job. Uh, I mean, he might even end up with stats. But as long as Julio, as long as you can't look back at this game and say Julio Jones carried the Atlanta Falcons to a victory and the secondary did good. Um, My defensive player of the game is, again, not necessarily someone I'm predicting to have a big game, but somebody I think is going to have a big impact on how the game goes. It's Carlton Davis, man. Um, I think that – or not Carlton Davis. Wow, I just – I think it's Jamel Dean. It's Jamel Dean. Um, last weekend, uh, again, we've, we've talked about this before, and this is kind of the first time I can really think of where I think Todd Bowles fell victim to it, where these coaches come out here and they essentially try to come up with ways to beat this team um, that essentially defeat themselves. And I think that what Todd, I think what happened with Jamel is exactly what Bruce Arians said. The part that he left out is that Todd told me that Jamel wasn't right for this game plan. Uh, as as a starter, so I'm going to go with Mike in the slot, and I'm going to put Andrew Adams back there at safety. And I think that's our best matchup. And I, as the head coach, said I trust you 100%. Go with it, and it didn't work for whatever reasons. Um, again, I don't put as much blame on the defense as everybody else does. However, I think that's what Bruce Arians essentially did: is went to Todd and said, "Hey, dude, listen, don't make me make you put this kid in the game. Um, he's earned his opportunity." Put him in there, you know, have a contingency plan in case he shows up. You know, if Seattle Jamel Dean shows up, have a backup plan. Maybe we see Mike Edwards fall back into the slot. Andrew Adams comes out there as safety. But I think Jamel Dean is going to get his opportunities. And I think that he's going to be a motivated guy. And while motivation is great, sometimes motivation leads you to becoming someone who tries too hard instead of just doing your job. And those can lead to mistakes. When you're talking about guys like Calvin Ridley out there, Julio Jones, because the Buccaneers secondary doesn't really travel. So, you know, if Jamel's on the field, he's going to he's gonna line up across from Julio sometimes. He's going to line up from Calvin sometimes. Uh, I think the predominant matchups will be 
you know, what we expect them to be, but there are going to be snaps and reps where they face those other players. And if Jamel is out there trying to prove a point, you know, trying to say, look, I can hang with a Hall of Famer, that might be the time where the Hall of Famer takes him to school and shows him that he can't. Um, however, at the, same, at the same time, if Jamel has really become a better studier of the game, a better student of the game, and a well-rounded mental, you know, or gotten to the point where he's uh, rounding out his mental side of the game better, then we might see a strong performance. Uh, not necessarily going to protect, you know, predict a, a pick or two or anything like that. But this is going to be a big game for Jamel Dean for ju- for the game itself and also for his future. Because if he does well, then I think that's where you'll start to see Jamel Dean kind of gain that traction and potentially become a regular part of the secondary moving towards the end of the season. Um, if he doesn't, you know, he's probably going back to the bench. All right, David, bold prediction time. And uh, mine goes back to my predictive offensive player of the game, Chris Godwin, two tutters. He gets in the end zone twice. Big, big day for Chris Godwin. Okay. My bold prediction is that Jameis Winston will have his lowest yards per completion average of the season. Interesting. But does he still eclipse 300? I have no idea. Well, I mean, I don't have any choice. I have to start him in fantasy anyway because Matt Stafford's hurt. I mean, I have Rojo on the bench. I've got uh, Christian McCaffrey, who obviously is a, you know, you, you, you start Christian McCaffrey. And I have Kareem Hunt. I have Christian McCaffrey and Kareem Hunt. Uh, the Browns play the Dolphins. I've got Rojo on the bench. I've got OJ back on the bench. And I've got Hollister starting in my tight end slot for Seattle. So we'll see how it goes. For the first time this season, outside of their bye week, I do not have a Buccaneers player in my FanDuel lineup. I do, however, have Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Jeez, man. (laughs) I'm playing the numbers. I'm playing the numbers. All right. Well, it is time for final score predictions. As many of you know, if you listen to the Crossover Wednesday episode, I did predict the Falcons to come out on top in this one. A nail-biter. It'll come down to the final possession, whether that means a score or a turnover ends it. Either way, Falcons win 35-34. to David, what is your final score prediction? So for those for those who like to read our staff picks every week, uh, what I'm about to say is pretty much going to ruin what I wrote on the staff picks piece because it's going to be the same exact explanation. But it's the only explanation I have, and that is that I have absolutely zero idea what's going to happen in this game because we have two three and seven teams who are three and seven for a reason, and the biggest reason they're three and seven is a lack of consistency. Uh, for the majority of the season, when the Falcons' offense came out and put up points, their defense couldn't stop anything. When the defense, when the Falcons' defense showed up and kept their opponent to a reasonable score, the Falcons offense couldn't score anything. And the same goes for the Bucks. However, here's how I came up with a score prediction. One, because I'm a nerd, and two, because I thought it would be fun. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers average 35 points per game when they win. The Atlanta Falcons average 27 points per game when they win. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers average 25 points per loss when they lose, and the Falcons average 21 points per loss when they lose. I made up a number, and I basically call those their decisive score averages, meaning that when you have the two outcomes, those are their score averages. And what I did is I averaged those two numbers. I don't know why. 
because math. <laughs> and what that comes out to is the Buccaneers scoring 30 and the Falcons scoring 24. We justification uh, for those numbers being that way. I just did it, and that's my score prediction. I'm gonna start calling you Davey Analytics. Nope, no, no tr- uh, trust me, <laughs> that is not based on any type of measurable analytic whatsoever. It's absolutely a random equation that I just pulled out of thin air with zero substance to it, which makes the nickname all that much better. Wow, it's the force. I'm using the force, which will lead us into the bonus portion of our conversation. But before <laughs> that, for those that you, for those of you that are not Star Wars fans, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do the the closing business, and then we'll get into the conversation because. David and I have been podcasting together for a long time. And because of Disney plus, I finally got him to start watching the star Wars movies for the very first time. And he was not a big fan of, of empire strikes back. He, he, you know, the one that's regarded as the best out of all of them. So I tried to have the conversation with him. He said, if we're doing this, we're doing this on air, but we won't subject all of you to it. So Go ahead and check out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you are sending us your post-game reaction voicemails to 813-444-5841. Follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. For those of you that are Star Wars fans and want to stick around for this conversation, we are going to have it. So, David, Episode 5, Empire Strikes Back. Directed by uh, Irvin Kirshner. You were not a fan. Not for the whole thing. But here's here's what I'll say. The reason I started watching it, right, because I did subscribe to Disney Plus. I started watching the Star Wars series, whatever it's whatever trilogy. It's not a trilogy anymore, so whatever it's called. Is honestly the because Skywalker Saga is what they've go. dubbed it now. The Skywalker Saga is because I ended up with a really long layover uh heading home from Tampa and I said, screw it. Might as well start it because it was risk-free, right? For me, yeah. you know what else is risk-free? The samples of food that they hand you at the mall food court. No. So Thanksgiving <laughs> week, my bookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Chicago bears, and Detroit lions game. All you have to do is pick a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, then you've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, then congratulations as well because my bookie is giving you all of your money back. So it's a no-brainer because you literally can't lose. Just like I couldn't lose watching Star Wars during my my layovers. So it's no risk. It's all gravy. It doesn't matter if you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes everyone who wants to play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. All you have to do is log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code locked on. And my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll. And that's on top of the risk-free bet you get. On Thanksgiving Day. So let me repeat that. That's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. So make sure you do your part. Support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie where you play, you win, you get paid. That was that was well done, sir. I did not see that coming. I was, I was pretty happy about it. Pretty That was, pretty that was good. So episode four. Um, which I'm probably the only person in America who hasn't seen these movies. So if, you know, if I'm spoiling something, then sorry, you should have turned off the episode. Um, (laughs) Episode four was all right. But here's the thing. Like 
I've sat in front of television screens playing Star Wars before many, many times in my life. So I have essentially seen episode four just not really ever in consecutive order. Like, you know what I mean? I never really sat down and watched it in all the minutes strung together, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I pretty much knew everything that happened in episode four. Just had never seen it all in one run. So seeing it, whatever. It's a good movie. Got it. Uh, Episode five. So for one, I thought that... The whole Darth Vader, Luke, you know, uh, no, I'm your father, which obviously I noticed because you had told me that on the show. Um, I thought that was the end of the movie for one. Like all this time, I thought that was the end of the movie and it wasn't. So I was kind of like, why is there more movie after this? I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to see anymore. But here's here's the thing. So for one, like the snow planet and all the stuff that happened in the snow planet, like. All the back and forth between, yeah, whatever, between Han Solo and Princess, like, I don't need it. Like, I don't need it. Leave that to The Bachelor. Like, it was worthless. It was absolutely worthless. Like, it was absolutely worthless. And the only thing it really did was serve to feed into one of my final decisions, which I will get into in a minute, which you're not going to like. And then you get to the creepy, you know, the wooded swamp area where he finds Yoda and all this stuff. And really all it did remind me of Princess Bride. Which I'm pretty sure Princess Bride is after Star Wars, so I don't know if Princess Bride stole that kind of scenery from Star Wars or vice versa. But really, all I can think of is Princess Bride, which is kind of funny. But then he meets Yoda, right? And as an outsider, man, like Yoda, you know, <laughs> so you know what connection I just made with this, which is kind of funny to me. So when Bruce Arians got hired by the Buccaneers, right? Every Buccaneer fan, every Buccaneer media person, other than the ones who were worried about his age and his health, got it, were excited because here came the legend, the two-time coach of the year, Bruce Arians, who saved the Colts when their head coach uh, you know, was stricken with cancer and saved the Cardinals and pulled them out of the dump, saved Carson Palmer. This was the guy. Since Bruce Arians has got here, People have, you know, it's, it's you know, like the bravado, like he's, he's making statements too soon. He's challenging things too much. He's arguing with referees too much. He's making bad decisions. People are like, this is not the Bruce Arians we expected to see. But then you go back to like the Cardinals, right? You go to the Cardinals fan base and what you see in the comments is, yep, same old BA. Tyron Matthews on Twitter. Yep. That's BA. Like that is BA. That's just not the image you had of BA before he got here. What I saw in Yoda is not what I expected. Like, I always thought Yoda was like this, like all powerful, like wiser than wise, you know, type of guy who just is, is, you know, I don't know, like just the most, like, I, it's kind of hard to call it. It's a fictional character, but like the, like professional of the professional, like, you know what I mean? And what I saw was this goofy Mm -hmm. green alien that's like chuckling and like making jokes and like, it was just silly, man. So it was kind of like you, you have you seen uh, how I met your mother, right? Oh, God. Yeah. So you remember the episode where they keep breaking the glass? Where they keep saying like, oh, you never noticed that Robin chews with her mouth open. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. So when I first saw Yoda and he's doing this silly crap in the swamp or whatever, that's what happens. Like the glass broke, like the image I had of who Yoda was. I was like, this is not the Yoda. Like, this is not the Yoda that you seek. You know what I mean? Like it was disappointing. It, it was. Well, I had a I had a talk with a Bucks fan today, man, who was like, "I'm honestly a little disappointed in who Bruce Arians has turned out to be." And I was like, "Yeah, it's almost don't get too close to your idols, right?" So for me, it's like this great cinematic character I thought was one thing, 
And it turns out he's he's a different thing. Like I'm sure he's really wise and all that too. But like just to see him like chuckling and giggling and I don't know, man, it was weird. Well, and here's what I'll say about that because every every preconceived notion that you had of Yoda is absolutely who he is. But he knew who Luke was when Luke showed up, and he was being that goofy, weird, you know, green alien testing him because then you see when when luke goes into yoda's hut to eat the um the root stew and he immediately turns it off and it's i can't train him yeah i mean you definitely see the 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 yoda you expect in there too and and that's valid you know i mean that's valid it's just it's not something i expected so when i saw it and that's i mean that's part of the problem of coming into a movie like this with preconceived that you don't have any valid base for is you, you know like basically i'm disappointed that the movie didn't deliver on the idea i had of it when i didn't even come up with the movie um and but that's not even a big and don't be wrong like i'm still gonna watch the next movie and i'll still probably end up watching the entire saga or whatever um but it just just little things that let me down kind of you know with my like i said with my biases or whatever going into it uh and then kind of the like the, I guess the straw that broke everything for me, honestly, was so they go through this whole thing where Luke is like begging Yoda to train him and talking to Ghost Ben. And he's like, Ben, tell him I'm ready. And no, I'll show you and I'll listen to everything you say and I'll do everything you want me to do until the very first time I don't agree with what you're telling me. And then I'm out of this place. I'm going to a new planet. I don't care what you say. Get out of here. Like, I understand like, you can't apply real life to this stuff because it's not real life. But this kid literally just sat here and begged and begged. He's like, I'll prove to you I'm mature enough. I'll prove to you I'll listen to everything you say to me, and I'm going to listen to all your training. The very first time, and I don't know how much time is supposed to have gone by you know, during the, the montage of, of the training stuff, which, by the way, Rocky did a training montage much better. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how much time is supposed to have gone by, but it's the first time we see Luke have a disagreement. Like what Luke thinks – and what he's being taught don't fit. And the very first time this kid who is sniveling and snotting and crying about give me a chance, the very first opportunity he has, he completely blows his dude off. Like, no, man, you don't you don't do that. You can't do that. Um, so that that bothered me also. And then like he's fighting dark. Like when he leaves, Obi-Wan says, like, hey, if you leave, I can't help you. And he's out there fighting this dude's like, Ben, help me, help me. Which brings me to my final point. Luke Skywalker is like the weakest hero character ever. That kid is such a scrub. Like he's it, he's a turd, man. Luke Skywalker is a turd. Maybe he becomes better, but right now, movies one and two, which is two thirds of Scott Hamill. What's his name? Scott Mark Hamill. Hamill. Mark, Mark Hamill. Hamill. Two thirds of Mark Hamill's depiction of Luke Skywalker. This kid is a turd. Yeah, I can see your point on some of this and and the it's not so much that he dipped because of a disagreement. It was a matter of uh, it, it was a moral conundrum. Like, do you stay and do what this this all knowing 890 year old uh, grand master of the Jedi is telling you to do, yes. or do you go save the lives of your friends? No. So it's, it's a tough situation. And, you know, that's, that kind of harkens back to 
episode four when his uncle says, you know, there's too much of his or his aunt says there's too much of his father in him. Yeah. Um, and, and his uncle goes, well, that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. And you'll you'll kind of see the parallels once you get to the the prequels. And you know, as George Lucas said, you know, it's all poetry. It all rhymes. Uh, but yeah, I do. I do find it funny that you say that about Luke because of the. There's a a a small faction of Star Wars fandom that is just toxic and sexist, and they hate Ray. You know, in these new Disney movies, because oh, well, why is she so strong with the Force and she didn't have any training and yada yada yada? Like Luke trained with obi-wan for a flight and that was it like that was all the training he had yeah and he all of a sudden flies an x-wing for the first time and uses the force (laughs) to blow up the death star that nobody else could do like how is it any different and you'll start to see that once once you get to the newer movies now empire is absolutely my favorite and i love love the dynamic between Han and Leia, it, it it pains me that you don't like that because that is absolutely one of my favorite parts of this movie and yeah. the next one is the relationship between the two of them. So and I, how- don't, I don't so much mind the dynamic between the two. I just like it, it happened on the what is it Hoth or whatever. Yeah, like it happened. I was like, okay. This you know this back and forth and you know the cutesy like you know hard to get and pursuer and all this other stuff. Got it. But then it's like. We're doing it, it turned into like Ross and Rachel, to be honest with you. I was like, okay, you like hit her, she likes you, like, okay, got it. Play hard to get for a second, but then just give in to what you actually believe because we all know it's coming. Stop it, move on. The movie's long enough already. I don't need this long. It, it's how long it went on. I I don't know. I guess I, I personally didn't think they dragged it on too long. Like you knew that's exactly where it was going, but it wasn't to me, it didn't take away from the central story, and you kind of saw you kind of saw that they both came to terms with the fact that they wanted to be together once they got to cloud city and Lando's like, hello, what have we here? You truly belong amongst us here in the clouds. And Han's like holding her hand and like back off, bro. Um, which Billy D Williams always so smooth. He is just the smoothest cat out there. Yeah. Um, that, was a good, that was a good character. Yeah. Yeah. I like him a lot. And, and, um, yeah, you'll get to see him in in the next one that you watch, and he's coming back for episode nine that comes out next month. Way excited for that. Yeah, me too. Um, so you know who the <laughs> he- <laughs> you know you know who the hero is of these first two movies? Han Solo, Chewbacca. Yeah. No, it's Solo. Like he's the hero. He's the hero of Star Wars. Like forget Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is a snot nosed kid causing all the problems. You know what? Who Luke Skywalker is? He's the Mitchell Trubisky of Star Wars. Oh, wow. I like, would not su- go that far. Like he's supposed he to be doing all these though. things and helping lead to, to victory and everything. But every turn, this kid makes a stupid mistake because he doesn't know what he's doing, even though he's the one who's being dubbed the, the savior of this whole thing. He's the Mitchell Trubisky of Star Wars. Well, I, I will say you're in for a drastic shift in in Luke. And I think it is it is the adolescence and the because, I mean, you know, obviously this is your first time through and everything. When when episode four happens, Luke is 18, 19 years old. And so hey, we listen, were all I time in 19. I don't want to hear it. Do what? I deployed for the first time in 19. I don't want to hear it. Okay, well, that's far more mature than most 18 or 19 year olds. Like, think about 18 and 19 year olds that you know now. 
No, oh, I mean, I look at my 17 year old and I just, ugh. yeah. Okay. And then I when, won't put a butter knife in her hand unsupervised, let alone a lightsaber. Yeah. So you, you have that kind of mentality that, you know, he wants to go off and be with his friends. He's going to be whiny. He thinks he knows everything. Then you go on to empire strikes back. You're at, at, uh, 21, 22 years old. Uh, cause there's a, a three year time jump between the two movies. So yeah. now you're, and that's when he actually runs off to go be with his friends and doesn't listen to well to save their lives. But just, just saying, just saying. I will, I will defend his decision to leave. Because- listen. Okay. And like, I get it, but here's the thing. If he hadn't just sat there and said, I know nothing, you know, everything. I promise I will listen to everything you tell me because I know that you know more than me right before that. I wouldn't have cared if it was like, Please train me. I'll show you. I have what it takes to be a Jedi. I'm a badass. I can wield a lightsaber like nobody's business. Fine. But it's like, like the thing that Yoda is saying is like, he's not mature enough. He is not mentally ready to do this task. No, I'm not going to do it. And Luke is like, I'm mentally ready. I'm mature enough. Trust me. I can make mature decisions and listen to what you tell me. And then the first time they turn around, he's like, nope, I'm not. I'm a big baby. I'm taking my, my spaceship and I'm leaving. Like that's the thing. If if Luke was just like, I'm a badass, I can kill Darth Vader, train me to kill some people, and Yoda's like, Fine, I will train you, kill some people, and he's like, Oh, my friends are in trouble. Be right back, Dad. I'll finish my homework later. Okay. I mean, like, yeah, fine, fine. No, no problem with that. But that's not what he pro- like, you know what I mean? Like, this well, kid he, is begging for the mental direction and maturity. Well, and he did promise that he would return to finish his training. He just had to save his his friends. Um yeah. But I, I I do get it. Um, yeah, it's just it's not a it's not a point of view that I ever actually really thought about. Like he asks for the training. He says that he's ready. But then, you know, he runs off and, and really honestly. And you'll you'll understand this a little bit more again once you once you get to the, the prequels, because you that's when you really learn about Anakin's backstory is it wasn't so much that he couldn't leave his training. It was more about the, the fear, not fear because, you know, Yoda does the whole, you know, fear turns to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering, you know, all that. Um, it was seeing the parallels of Luke's level of attachment to other people. And, Jedi's are not supposed to be attached to anybody. That's why they're not supposed to marry. And that mm-hmm. was the that was the downfall of Anakin Skywalker's. He was so in love and so attached to another person. Whoa, spoilers! Holy crap! Well, obviously he had children. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. I'm just saying, maybe you know, well, one one night in a nightclub on Tatooine, and you know, things happen. Okay, well, Jedi's are not supposed to marry because of the attachment factor can cloud their judgment. And he sees the attachment level that Luke has to Han and Leia and Chewie and does not want that to lead him down the path to the dark side. Right. He has such an attachment to them that as Princess Leia is yelling to him, don't come in here. It's a trap. He goes, oh, I'm going in there because I'm Mitchell Trubisky. Well, to be fair, he also may not have heard her. He definitely heard her. I don't know. He's just Mitchell Trubisky. But hey, that's your opinion. I respect it. I figured, you know, some of the things that you might have viewed, I might have been able to shed a little bit of light on, maybe help you see differently. I've honestly never heard anyone take that that stance on Luke, but 
I I get it. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I get it. No, I mean, I get why he did some of the things he did. And I understand, like, you know, there's a lot of movies to, to be had and everything else. And, you know, I got, like, there, there's development of a character and, and all this crap. And, you know, part of your success is because of your failures and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I got it. But um, I just was really surprised at just how much of a whiny screw-up this kid is. Yeah, which makes me very very interested to hear how you take to the sequel trilogy, the, the Disney uh, episodic <clears throat> episodic films with episodes seven and eight, because episode eight is the one that really divided the fandom. Uh, they five, six. I'm about to watch six tonight. So then it's one, two and three, right? I watch those next or don't I? Watch yeah. Them? Yeah, you can. And if you didn't, if you didn't like uh goofy, funny, playful, Putting on the act, Yoda. I can't wait to hear what you think about the Phantom Menace. Ooh, is the Phantom Menace I, the red guy with the spiky face or whatever? Well, the the movie is named the Phantom Menace, and that is the one. Yes, with Darth Maul with the red, uh, the red and black tattooed face and the horns. Uh, yeah, but it is also the one with Jar Jar Binks. Oh yeah, I mean, but I've, I'm prepared for him though, so. Like I know now, who he is, and I've seen clips or whatever. So like I'm, I don't. I mean, I suppose I'm, I may not be prepared for the level of annoyance, but I've heard plenty about his annoyance and stuff. So, and honestly, I really don't mind him. As I've gotten older, I've actually grown to appreciate the Phantom Menace a little bit more than I did when I initially saw it. Uh, it's definitely not my least favorite of the Star Wars movies. And is Natalie Portman Luke Skywalker's mother? I will not confirm nor deny. I will tell you that Natalie Portman is in episodes one, two, and three. Yeah. She's mom. Ewan McGregor is in episodes one, two, and three. Jake yeah. Lloyd plays Anakin in episode one. Now you may know Jake Lloyd as the lovable little boy in Jingle All the Way that just wants a Turbo Man doll. Well, I've seen clips of the little kid Luke or Anakin flying in like a race or something. Yeah, he's a he's a pod racer. Yeah, and then uh, Anakin is portrayed by Hayden Christensen in two and three. Uh, absolutely stellar performances by Obi Wan or Wait, by but Natalie by, Portman is in Episode One. Then she's much older than Anakin. She uh, is a she's about four four years older than Anakin. Oh, okay. So, it can still so yeah, when you see her in episode one, she's right around like 13 and he's about nine or 10, like right in that range. Um, and then, yeah, there's a big time jump in between one and two. Um, so by time they meet again, you know, Anakin is coming up on 17, 18 years old, somewhere yeah. in there. Like he's, he's, n- pretty much an adult uh, in episode two. And I already know that Anakin, like, cause I remember watching somebody watch that movie where like, he like falls into a lava pit or something or like gets knocked into a lot. Like, I don't know. Like that's why he's all messed up and in the suit and all that stuff. I don't know how it happens obviously and all the details, but I know he basically gets burned or melted. Again, I will, I will not confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, but yeah, I will say I, I do get a little bit of heat because a new hope is down towards the bottom of my list of Star Wars that? movies. Episode four. 
Uh, it's down towards the bottom of my list, and I realize that's the one that started it all. But if you take it just in and of itself, it's kind of a slow movie. Um, not really a whole lot going on, and there are just so many more that I would rather I would rather watch. And I dare say that I'm one of those one of those fans that's going to get hated on a lot. If I enjoy the one that comes out next month, episode nine, as much as I think I will. I will end up liking the sequel trilogy more as a whole than the original trilogy, because I think episode seven and eight are both better than episode four and episode eight's the one that you either really enjoy it or you despise it. And you want the director uh, put in a, a rocket and shot into space because there there's like no in between it's, it was a very divisive movie, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. All right. Is that the one with uh, Ray or whatever? Yeah, that is the second one with Ray and Kylo Ren and and Finn and Poe and and all those. I absolutely adore Daisy Ridley. I think she does a great job. I think Adam Driver crushes it as Kylo Ren. I think he does phenomenal. Um, just some really like really intriguing four stuff. more than I like Episode Five. Just gonna say that. Well, that's that's fair. And I've seen a lot of people rank Episode Four as their favorite because that's the one that introduced them to to the trilogy but as i told you off air return of the jedi episode six that you're getting ready to watch that was the very first one i ever watched because that was the only one that my parents had a copy of when i was a kid growing up so i was watching that on beta you remember beta i don't beta was like there was vcrs and like vhs's and then there were betamax I'm pretty sure that I was too young to remember. And then my dad got stationed in Germany. So we didn't have any of that stuff. And then we got back to the States and that was early nineties. So by that time it was VCRs and nothing else. Yeah. Cause it was, it was kind of like, you remember when they came out with Blu-rays and uh, HD, DVDs. HD DVDs at the yeah. same time. Yeah. This was kind of how that was. It was VHSs and Betamaxes and VHS one, but we still had a beta when I was a kid. Um, so that's what I would, uh, that's what I would watch return of the Jedi on. So right out of the gate, you know, I didn't know that there were other movies attached to this one. And so I go back and I, I finally saw a new hope and empire strikes back. And I'm like, you mean everybody didn't already know that Vader was Luke's dad. Like he called him dad, that whole other movie. Like, what are you, <laughs> he what are you talking dad? about? That's just weird. Or father. Um, father, yeah. Um, I just want to say that I already think it's lame that the plot of the third movie is a new Death Star. Like, I don't know. Oh, you're really... Uh, That's you're, lame. You're in for a surprise then. It's lame. Yikes. Like... That's... Ooh. Third movie. We're gonna do what we did the first time, except but now he knows it's his dad. Ta-da! You know what? I'm I'm gonna save I'm gonna save my argument about that yeah, until after tell me. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Well, yeah, I, I I'm gonna save it until after uh something else. But I do have I do have a little bit of a of an argument about why that is. And well, it's just right. my own this it's my own personal theory. One. That's fair. <laughs> I, this is the first one I've literally never seen any of it ever. Like I've never seen a clip. I've never seen any, like I've never like walked through a room as somebody else was watching it. So everything I see in this movie is literally the first time. And the only thing I know about the movie is I'm pretty sure the part that's about to come up anyway, because I watched a little bit of it already is the whole, this is the one where Leia wears the bikini thing or whatever. Yep. Like that's literally the only thing I know about this movie. Um, 
so I'm looking forward to that because the other two I had preconceived notions about. This one I have no preconceived notions about. So I'm actually I'm interested to see how different that is. Okay. Well, we will uh, we will have to discuss that on. I don't know. We can we'll we'll see what kind of reaction we get from doing a a double episode with half of it about Star Wars, and maybe we'll have uh, David's Star Wars review on some of these episodes. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to want to hear that. I would love to do a Star Wars podcast. It would make me so happy. Well, then we'll do we'll do until as I go <laughs> through this series, we will we will do the same thing we did tonight. We will tell people if you don't if you're not interested in hearing our Star Wars back and forth, by all means, thank you for joining us. Have a good night. Um, and for those of you who want to hang around, and and hey, if anybody out there thinks that I'm way off, you know, um, I know Star Wars people are pretty passionate. So by all means, let me know what you think and how I'm wrong, and tell me that I'm wrong, and uh, it'll be entertaining. I'm good. I'm good with it. Yeah, that's the thing. Whether you whether you like it or hate it, I will respect your opinion as long as you respect mine. And I've gotten into plenty of conversations about The Last Jedi with people on Twitter who hated it and they don't understand how I enjoy it. And I'm like, look, I will I will tell you flat out from the bottom of my heart. I am very, very sorry that you did not enjoy this movie because I do. I dread the day, David, and I know it's going to happen with Disney churning out star wars content i dread the day that i walk out of a theater after seeing a star wars movie and i say wow that sucked that yeah, they're, will they're crush me the ground eventually um so you know i'm i feel bad for people that didn't like it but their their lack of enjoyment is not going to affect how much i enjoyed it because i thought it was great i'm enjoying the mandalorian but i, I want to know like backstories and stuff because like when I saw the bounty hunter in episode five, like that was pretty cool. It was pretty exciting. I was like, I know. Oh, that's, yeah, that's Boba Fett. Are. Is it? I don't know who that is, but I was like, I know a little bit of who you are because I'm watching a TV show about someone who looks just like you, but I have no idea if that's like a race of people or what. So yes, Mandalorians are a race of people from the planet Mandalore. And uh, Boba Fett, funny enough, is not actually a Mandalorian. He just wears Mandalorian armor. And that's the guy that you saw in five. And you will get to see him again. Um, Not the same person as the one in the Mandalorian. So, uh, yeah, Boba Fett, the one that you saw in episode five, that is my son Jackson's absolute favorite character. That is the guy that he has a collection focus of. We have tons of Boba Fett stuff uh, as far as toys and artwork and all that because that is his dude. So uh, the armor looks pretty cool. So yeah, can't yeah, it's it's pretty badass. So um, yeah, you'll you'll get to learn a little bit more about Boba Fett down the line, but yeah, not the same character as the one you're watching in the Mandalorian. Just the same species or race? Or yeah, same stuff. same race of well, again. Boba Fett's actually not that race, but he wear he adopted In the theory, Mandalorian same. culture. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Religion, something, I don't know. So, all right. Well, that will do it for uh, David Harrison's Star Wars review as he goes through the series for the first time. I'm so excited. With player uh, comps, by, by the way. Who doesn't love player comps? Yeah, yeah. We can we can tie Star Wars into into Buccaneers here and there. So for those of you that stuck with us this long, we really appreciate it. If you have any Star Wars takes, you can send those in via voicemail to a one three four 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 five eight four one. But I've already done all the rest of the business stuff, so you guys know how that goes. Hope you all 
Have an absolutely outstanding weekend. Enjoy the game, and thank you so much for joining us right here on Locked on Bucks.